Joe presents TKO, together with 32 Red. Welcome to round two of TKO on Joe, together with 32 Red. We are on the south coast today in sunny Brighton, where we'll be meeting one of the greats of British boxing, Chris Eubank Sr. Off to you, mate. There you go. Now, you won't have seen that, but on the door says there, Brighton & Hove Boxing Gym, established 1946. It makes it 73 years old. This yeah. is, of course, where uh, Eubank Sr. trained for um, world title fights with Nigel Bem, Michael Watson, Steve Collins, and, of course, where um, Eubank Jr. now trains as well. I like it. It's real spit and sawdust. Like, I love gyms like this. It's but good, it's isn't it? Yeah. Very atmosphere about it. So, we've got history coming out the walls a little bit, isn't it? Mm. Um, we're going to meet the... The man himself today, he's uh, an eccentric one. Yeah. He's one of the most eccentric, if not the most eccentric, in boxing, which I, says a lot. Yeah, I think we're right in at the deep end here. First podcast, <laughs> very nervous. Don't know how you're feeling. I'm pretty nervous. Excited, though. Um, have you been back in a ring since Warrington? Uh, I've been in a boxing club, but I haven't been in the ring. No. Conan, this is it. I'm not, I don't feel ready yet. You sure? No, I'm not doing it. <laughs> you're still to this day one of the most recognisable figures in Britain though your heyday in sport was all through the 90s and that era was a backdrop of sort of golden moments of British sport whether it's Linford Christie winning the Olympic gold in Barcelona David Beckham's halfway line uh, goal for Manchester United um, Frank Bruno winning the world title at the fourth time of asking for you it started right at the beginning of the 1990s do you feel as if your presence, Chris Eubank Sr., came into the public conscience after the first Nigel Benn fight? Was that when you really announced yourself on the scene? Well, that's the only time when the media were going to actually accept whatever I had to say. You've got to prove yourself to get onto uh, television. You've got to prove yourself, otherwise... You're just a pretender. So, yes. It was I came into prominence after beating Nigel Benn November the 18th, 1990. And it was a, a decade of ups and downs, largely of success for you. You hung them up in 1998. Mm-hmm. 13 years later, Newbank Jr. arrives on the scene mm. to speculation, conjecture, anticipation... For you, did he give you a link back to the sport? And if you enjoyed the last six or seven years, is it just giving you a, a reattachment to a sport? And had you missed the time out of the ring in the 13 years after you retired? Missed it. Mm. <laughs> missed it. See, what happens is that you actually go from strength to strength because your career is from the moment you're born and until the moment you die. It's a continuous story. So um, having retired in 98, I became a mentor. I became uh, a bouncing board for those who were less experienced. Um, whether they wanted to hear the advice or not. It always has been on offer. Um, and I, I, re- I revel in it. I adore the language of a champion. And I was champion 
long before I actually got the belt in 1990. So that frequency effectively speaks about what you are going to be. So if you are chivalrous, if you are well-mannered, if you respect your parents, I mean, those three virtues alone, that makes you a champion. And if you're following that, whatever your program is or the vocation you're following, it tends, it tends to actually come to fruition because you are behaving with the mannerisms of a champion. I mean, see it, believe it, become it is one of the, the classic adages in boxing. See it, believe it, and become it? See it, believe it, become it. Okay, uh, well, that actually probably does work, but that's not the frequency I'm on. Let, well, me, just, let me just explain. Okay. If I'm always considerate, that's the behaviour of a champion. If I'm always kind, if I'm gentle, if I am... If I have the correct attitude for the situation in which I'm in, that is the hallmark of a champion. So if there's an old lady and uh, let's say she's going down some steps, if I take her bag down the steps for her, that is championship behavior. It follows, it's as simple as this, it follows that if you keep on doing that, if you keep on having that type of uh, consideration, it follows that your vocation will become the best or one of the best in. Or championship behavior uh, results in actually getting getting the, the prize, hmm. getting the belts. Well, certainly in boxing, getting the belts. Hmm. Does, does that make sense? It does make sense. The, the virtues you pass on as a parent, therefore, as well as a mentor in, in the fight game, mm. are presumably crucial to the success of, of your son. Ah. This is general. This is for everyone. This is a universal law. These are not my laws. This is universal law. I'm only going by how I won, how I did it. You know... If whoever is listening to my frequency or my language, if they choose to listen, then good for you. If they choose not to listen and apply what they've been taught by those who are older and wiser and more experienced, then that's down to them. Still, my frequency of what it takes to become a champion is still universally correct. Do you, do you think that a champion should always be a gentleman? Because we're in a day, as, like in this day and age, a lot of fighters, they like to act out and behave. A lot of fighters like to behave like thugs sometimes. Mm-hmm. And it's a TV persona, not really them mm-hmm. in real life. Mm-hmm. Do you believe that they should at all, all times act like a gentleman? Well, I do. I would say you're a gentleman. Like, Thank you. A perfect gentleman. Thank you. And... As Chris pointed out, that I retired 20 years ago, mm. how comes I'm still as popular? Yeah. Because that championship behavior is always in play. So in the ring, you must have grit. You must be able to uh, finish your man sometimes. You must know your art and craft. Mm. Outside of the ring, 
you must be chivalrous. Someone sent me a tweet. Do you have any advice for my six-year-old? He's having his first fight or one of his first fights or one of his early fights coming this Saturday. Do you have any advice? His name is Zachary. I replied, don't do it, Zachary. Don't do it. If you become a boxer, you can never fight outside the ring. Hmm. You have to be continuously chivalrous. You have to protect those who are weaker than you. Hmm. And effectively, it is a very lonely life because you become a hero to the masses. It's very interesting that because I've got a young son who is four years old. And I'm sure the day will come when he asks me, can he box? But I won't be pushing him into it. I think he needs to make his own mind up. I would rather he didn't box, but you've got a son who's fighting at the very high end. He's fighting James DeGale next week. Hmm. Um, did, you, did your son choose to fight himself, or did you, did you help push him in that, in that direction? I pushed him the perfect way it happens. Whatever you say, do, they do the opposite. Yeah. <laughs> I told him not to box. I said, it's not for you. It actually encouraged him to where he is. You know, he's a very talented fighter. Um, see, physically, you think, wow. So, it's, isn't it peculiar? I, I really believe in his talents. Isn't it peculiar how he has lost two fights? Meaningful contests to, the, to his life and his, and his career. Mm. Isn't it uh, peculiar and strange? In my view, Saunders has nothing on him, but Saunders beat him. In my view, Groves had nothing on him. Junior didn't turn up in that fight. Mm. It isn't only physical, it's also spiritual. Something of which is probably too deep to get into, but it is real. The, let's talk about the Billy Joe Saunders fight, because we were talking about this. Yeah. I think there's a, quite a lot of cognitive dissonance amongst the fans in which they remember a different fight to what actually happened. Because I was lucky enough to be there, 10 feet from the action, and can remember press row that night on the final bell... People looking at each other thinking, we don't know which way this has gone. And there's no doubt that Billy Joe had the first half of the fight, and there's no doubt that Chris had the second half of the fight. The, the concern amongst fans and, and maybe the consensus is that the game plan to turn the fight ugly happened a little bit too late, just after the midway point. Had it happened just before the midway point, maybe that last round that was stolen by Billy Joe wouldn't have been stolen and maybe you'd be looking at either a draw and a rematch or a junior win and that changes everything. The talk this week of Chris essentially saying that with Nate Vasquez this will be the first time where you've had a really structured game plan going into a contest. Is that true? And if not, do you feel there was perhaps a lack of of a structured game plan or was it that Junior didn't follow the game plan in the two fights that he's lost? He didn't follow the game plan. He didn't follow the follow strategy, no. You can't can't give away six rounds. No. Period. Uh, Over and above that, 
you know, the inside information he has is she can't allow this man to box. It's still written. So I don't just give the advice verbally. I write it down. It's in written form. You do not allow this man to box. Okay. So, given six rounds away, what, what, what do I do? Let me tell you. Great advice doesn't mean anything if you can't hear. It just doesn't. As a parent, hmm. I imagine having, having a brother that has two kids, the most frustrating thing is when his kids don't listen to him. Yeah. Is that fair as a parent? Probably. It happens to me pretty much day in, day out. But when you get to a point where the stakes are so high career-wise, financially, and in terms of his legacy, how frustrating is it for you being in that corner, giving him the advice that, to the best of your extensive knowledge, you know is for his benefit mm-hmm. in the narrative of a very short fight, 36 minutes that could change his whole career and the trajectory of mm-hmm. it, and he's not listening. Mm-hmm. What does that make you feel as a man that doesn't... No, uh, you know, don't ask me how it makes me feel. I mean, that's obvious. Hold on. Here is the point. It doesn't matter. It, it just doesn't matter. To who? To you? To, to... No, it, if, if you're not following uh, wise, experienced, great advice, it doesn't matter. You will, uh, you will have to learn or life will teach you what it taught the father. You can leapfrog by using the advice of the elders, or you can learn the hard way. And there's nothing, there's nothing you can do about it. So he's learning the hard way? By definition? <laughs> Naturally. But when I ask you how it makes you feel... No, I, I said, okay, so, so is it frustrating when you know that there are other paths that he could have taken were he to have taken that Is it frustrating? Is it frustrating? Is it a frustration to you? Why are you asking me? It's a rhetorical question. It's not rhetorical. Yes, because it is. It, it's binary because no, it's either not it frustrating binary. for you because it's his own path or it is frustrating for you because you want to see him do achieve his full potential and possibly as a result of not listening to your advice in the middle of a crucial fight. I stated my point. I stated my point. The clever young men, I am one of them. When I was young, or in my 20s, in my teens, I was clever because I had this drive. I had this fire in my belly. The reason I was clever is because I knew to bow to my elders, those who knew more than me. I was obedient to those who knew more than me. Not just that. I mean, my luck is probably based as well on being obedient to my parents, meaning that I never even questioned to, uh, to go against or to... Uh, refuse to do something that they told me. That is why I've been so lucky. And I mean, I'm talking about lucky. How do you come through what I've come through? How do you come through a borstal system, a penal system? How do you come through being in North Wales 
for a year and a half when there was so much evil going on in these homes up there? How did I come through all of that unscathed? Is that how luck go go to- or is that like a determination inside you? No, I, how did I get through all of this? I've got 19 world championship wins. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Mm. You know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a dual distinction officer of the law. I mean, only Elvis Presley has, you know, Elvis Presley is the only other celebrity of note, and I mean on global note, who was actually uh, inducted into the law enforcement agency of the United States of America without any training. I'm the only other guy. So, the dis- hold on, the distinction, I, you can't be this lucky. You, you, no one can be this lucky. So, how? How did I get this? I was obedient to my parents. I was always obedient to... There was, there is no... Do you know, I would never have gone to New York if I had my own mind at 16. My dad said, you're going to New York to live with your mother. Here, you're going to end up uh, going the wrong way. I didn't think... There wasn't... Well, I don't want to go. That didn't exist back in those days. The obedience you had to have to your parents. You didn't have a decision. It was his decision. I went to New York and now look at me. If I didn't go, I have many, many school friends who have gone through this, what is only, you can only refer to it as a trap. You know, you're born into kind of like a, a system of which you have to live in. Mm. The, only, the only way I've been able to get out of it is by being obedient to my parents. I've been very, very lucky. Very lucky. It's about ordinary beginnings. You had a, a, an ordinary beginning yeah. as far as a working class family background and... You know, you would have gone into lemonade delivery had it not been for, for boxing. Yeah. It is a route out of, of, of the lowest points often. Yeah, and I think, I think that, that happens throughout boxing. If you look at boxers, typically over time, they come from kind of hardship, working class backgrounds. I think that's why someone like Chris Jr. deserves a lot of credit because I don't think he's had hardship. He's, he grew up a pretty privileged life. There's not too many top quality world champion boxers at that level who have had the privileged life there can't be many it's it's a very uh, it's a very uh, it's a very peculiar phenomena he has all the tools and all the drive the spiritual aspect you know I always talk about Sunday school. Sunday school teaches you that there is something bigger than you. I don't know what it is, but there's something bigger than you, and you have to be respectful of it. And it's that that some people don't have. I went to Sunday school every week, by the way. Every week. Mom made me go. So those prerequisites and those principles of which is taught chivalry kindness do unto others as you would have them do unto you respect your parents respect your teachers respect the law punctuality discipline consideration manners manners being gentle 
These are the prerequisites to being a champion. This behavior will make you champion in your vocation. How do I know? I did it. Hmm. You know, you can't say, well, you're the odd one out. I'm not the odd one out. It works. It's a sure, you know what? Yes, I will even go as far as to say that it is an exact science. Do you see any of those traits missing in Junior? Junior will have his career, and what will happen will happen. Hmm. And the only thing he will be able to do as the elders do is look back and say well if only I had of if only I had of listened if only I would have applied myself see championship behavior oh well there's Muhammad Ali and there's Floyd Mayweather and there's you know Mike Tyson you know and these are exceptional men Mm, right that's boxing they are exceptional men did they live did they do ordinary things to become exceptional no they did exceptional things in that they behaved exceptionally Mm. in terms of discipline that run keeping away from the nightclubs keeping away from the girls keeping away from the drink they were exceptional they didn't do the ordinary thing and because they didn't do the ordinary thing they got what they earned Mm which is distinction or exceptional, an exceptional position. Presumably those temptations as well get greater the higher your profile and the more money you earn, particularly for a young single man earning good money at the top of your game. Yeah, I think so. I think, um, speaking personally, like I'm happily married, yeah. two kids, but... Before I started getting this little bit of fame with the boxing and being a, a name around Belfast, I walked into a nightclub and couldn't have got went near a bird. Like, couldn't have got... But suddenly, you've got a wee bit of celebrity about you and it just comes and it's like, it's all over the place and you have to, like, back off and be careful, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And there's eyes everywhere. So, I think... I think someone like Chris good-looking young man on TV um, former champion still involved in big fights I think a temptation the temptation is always going to be there it isn't just a temptation that you are not flagging up Mm. these are people Mm. and for every single person on earth the centre of the universe is themselves so you have these spirits You have these uh, individuals with their, let's say, bodies or their brains, and they want you, so you're being pursued. Mm. So don't, you know, don't put it across like, oh, they're there. No, they are pursuing you. And we are weak because, weak, and the reason why we're weak is because we've been programmed to like, oh, look at that, and it's all beautiful, and... So it's not like these people are approaching you with their brains. Yeah. So uh, the term is, um, you know, catch. I'm going to catch you. You know, there is a very famous poem by Rudyard Kipling 
called the female of the species, and there is a line in it which goes as follows. When hunter meets with husband, when hunter, that's the female, when hunter meets with husband, because it is said, or people take it for granted, that the man is the hunter. The man isn't the hunter in a relationship. You're being hunted. So, in fact, just let me give you just... Um, maybe one or two stances. Man are bare in most relations, women savage otherwise. Man propounds ne- negotiations. Man accepts the compromise. Very rarely will he squarely push the logic of a fact to its ultimate conclusion in unmitigated act. Fear or foolishness impels him. Here he lays a wicked low to concede some form of trial even to his fiercest foe. Mirth obscene diverts his anger, doubt and pity oft perplex him in dealing with an issue to the scandal of the sex. But the woman that God gave him, every fibre of her frame, proves her launched for one sole issue, armed and engine for the same. And to serve that single issue, least the generations fail, the female of the species must be more deadly than the male. And it goes on. Yeah. And there was a lot before that. You know, man's timid heart is bursting with the things he must not say. For the woman that God gave him isn't his to give away. But when hunter meets with husband, each confirms the other's tale. For the female of the species is more deadly than the male. So the point I want to make is, you make it sound all innocent. Oh, there's all this temptation. No, these people are pursuing you. We are being pursued, you know, by the more powerful sex, <laughs> which is the female. Otherwise, why would Rudyard Kipling have written that marvellous philosophy in 1911? You know, oh, but, you know, we are the predators. Uh-uh. No. We're the suckers. Suckers. <laughs> <laughs> it's a language that, uh, you know, mm. <laughs> my vocabulary is better. Uh, so let me find a better Pretty word. Good. You know, we are the um, preyed upon. Mm. Okay, been... hold on, hold on. I'm, gonna get it. I'm probably going to get into trouble for this. Um, surely, ladies, you see what I'm saying. It's a point of view. Uh, you know, if you don't accept it, you know, I'm only reading from those who are older than I or who are uh, in the history books, as Rudyard Kipling is. It's one of the accusations that Junior and DeGale have had in the last seven or eight days, that they've seen each other on nights out and Chris has said... James's his behaviour hasn't been acceptable. Mm. We know the, the, the negative implications of not living the life in between fights in terms of longevity. Do you see that as um, one of James's weaknesses? His lack of discipline, perhaps outside of the ring, in between fights? You know, you know let's not judge, because the elders tell us not to judge. Uh, the wisdom in that is... Whatever he's doing wrong, I'm sure Junior has his own faults. So in the end, it's almost like if they are the same ability, it's almost as though it's going to come down to who is more following that golden thread of integrity. Do you believe they are of the same ability? You know, you know, 
I'm a fighter of um, I'm genuine and I've been there and I've I've tasted uh, the hurt mm. the pain mm. of battle I've got to be careful I can't and I mustn't I mustn't judge. I mustn't judge. Because because before now I'm only seeing the brilliance of my of of my son. Of course. I've only seen the brilliance of him. But he didn't show up in that fight with Groves and he didn't show up in that fight mm. with, with Saunders. So now I'm like, well Is it well, possible? They, they, they talk about timing and fights and the yeah. right time to get guys and it's been widely spoken of that people think that the gale maybe Slightly over the hill. That's, you think this is a good time? That's, no, it doesn't work that way. That's that's actually the worst time. Do not believe in any of that. Mm. You know, uh, you know. Here's here's a here's a fantastic example. Nigel Benn when he fought McClellan. Mm. Look at what happened before that with the beatings he took. Remember, he actually uh, could have made the count in the Watson fight. Mm. He could have made the count. So it's not like he was spent, but it would seem as though if he if he didn't make that count and it looks like he should have made that count, then there's no way he's going to beat McClellan. Mm. Do you understand? Yeah, of course. Do not underestimate anyone. I like what you're saying. And no. let me tell you this. Okay? You can't go back in my career and find me smiling. I'm not smiling about anything. This is a very serious contest. And in this contest, it's going to determine the way in which my life goes. There is no smiling here. I there is that, no that, smiling. There is no... It isn't light. It yeah. is not light. That makes a lot of sense because I... I, I get... I fall in Texas. Um, I was chasing fights with Scott Quigg for a long time. Chasing fights with Leo Santa Cruz for a long time. I fought in Texas... Got dropped twice in the first round, got up and win. Them guys didn't want to fight me until that fight happened, and they thought they seen a vulnerability, and I came back and I beat the both. Mm. So I like what you're saying there, because you need to I don't think I don't think Chris can go into this fight thinking that James is over the hill. He needs to go in thinking that it's his best ever James to go. That's and if you don't do that, you are not being a professional. Mm-hmm. You, know, you have to be deadly serious about this. Now, I'm going to make an apology because I actually thought that the two of you were interviewing me and now I can see that this is an interview with two former champions. Is that about right? Well, not not really. We're kind of interviewing you. I'm just not very good at it. He's better than me. <laughs> well, well, now, now this is what is... This is what makes you a champion, okay? You've been a champion. Yeah. So you are no different from me. So I'm not putting you in any category beneath me. Uh, and when I say beneath, I'm talking about, okay, he hasn't been a champion, he's an interviewer. You are a champion. Mm. You are the same as me. I may talk a little bit more and I may have studied and I may have, because I was involved in, you know, some... Mm, a very spiritual uh, 
environments. You know, I may be able to get across points of view that are a little bit peculiar, but no, you are the same as me. And so that respect must be paid. That was very kind of you to say. No, it's not kind. It's an observation that is actually right. And again, if I don't make this observation, it doesn't show that, it doesn't show why I'm a champion. Mm. It doesn't show why I'm a champion. Consideration. Consider your fellow man. Consider your fellow man. If you're being kind, if you're being considerate, if you're being chivalrous, if you're practicing chivalry, how can you not be a knight? And the reason why knights are criticized is because they are very few. Nevertheless, it's a fantastic vocation. It's a beautiful vocation. You're, you mentioned that you have this glistening view of, of your son as a fighter. Is there a chance that that view is skewed by your role as his, as his dad? Because parents want to believe that their children are, well, they see the best in their kids. Yeah. With that, you've, you've said before that you felt he would beat Billy Joe Saunders. He came up short. You felt he would beat George Groves. He came up short. What does your instinct tell you about the results against James DeGale? What do you think will happen? My predictions before now have been promotional. Okay. In terms of how I feel about the young man's abilities. There was an interview where I said, you know, he's going to replace Floyd Mayweather Jr. This is going to be... Right. That's what I could see. That was my trajectory for him. Was is the operative word. Now, I am not sure. Because you've got to remember, I've been in this. I understand when I came over in 87 to this country from New York, having learned my trade there, I knew if I could beat the guys in sparring who were in the top 10, mm. I could beat them in a real fight. Mm. And I did beat them in sparring. So why should it be any different for my son? So I made sure and engineered that he should spar with Groves. The beatings he gave Groves, and he will not deny it, Groves will not deny it, they were embarrassing. Black eye. I mean, you know, I can remember actually saying to George Groves before he fought James, I said to him, don't be dejected. He had his feet up on a chair and he was like this for the beating Junior gave him. I said, don't be dejected. That's why you're going to win the fight. Because it's on top of you in here. That's how it works. How many years ago was that? Six years. Oh. The one thing he Six, hasn't lost. And, that was 2011. So in the sort of first four or five pro fights of his career. This is, yeah. We, we know what happened with you and Michael Watson in the second fight. You mentioned Gerald McClellan. Of course, we know what happened with him and Nigel Benn. Tra tragedy obviously struck with, with Junior and Nick Blackwell. Mm -hmm. You've said yourself in previous interviews that, that you kind of felt you lost your mojo a little and you were on a... I lost my mojo? Well, you said, I think, maybe not, but that's not the right word. But what you are we said, referring to here? So, so, so <laughs> yeah, so you were, put it, put it this way, you were on quite a considerable knockout streak up until that second fight. There were a couple of oh, fights with that Watson. went... Yeah, with Watson. Yeah. There were a couple that went to a decision, yeah. but ultimately there was something like 12 or 14 It came within the distance. Right. After it, something like 11 of the next 13 or 14 right. went to points. Right. Whether, whether or not 
that was the case with you. With, with Junior, he doesn't seem to have lost any of that spite. He doesn't seem to have been affected in the way that you were. Why is that, do you think? And what conversations did you have with him after, after the Nick Blackwell tragedy? And, and how do you think he reacted differently to how you reacted with Michael Watson? My parents are not his parents. So, you know, I'm coming from a mother who is benevolent and my mother is lived in Christ. So the principles of what the manual of the Bible teaches is all about embracing and accepting and loving. You know, and I was a mummy's boy. My mother used to, she used to stop and put her bum out like that. And me, boom, I used to walk into her backside (laughs) because I'll never stop following her. So point I want to make is that the benevolence that she was endowed with naturally rubbed off on me. Mm. Okay, my father was a character. Uh, life of the party, um, a man, the type who laughs and then engages the entire room. The entire room then is laughing because of the way he laughed. So I have that spirit as well. But that kind spirit from my mother is why I, or that considerate spirit from my mother is why I lost my finishing instinct. Right. After the Watson 2 fight, I had hurt a man. Much more than that, I had hurt the mother of the man. When I really became powerful and strong, I mean, as in what makes a man strong, it was when my mother said to me one day, I called her all excited, Mum, I won the fight. I won the fight. This is when I was an amateur in New York. Mum, I won the fight. She was a living nurse in uh, Manhattan, Yorkville. She said, what happened to the other boy? I said, what do you mean? I mean, it's a fight. I mean, I won. Hmm. I won. She said, the boy has a mother too. Hmm. That's where I became strong. Very considerate. Consideration. Yeah. Hmm. It takes a lot to, to carry on after that. We spoke about Groves and Goodneck mm. last week and he, he did a, a great interview with, um, with Trish Dixon a couple of days ago and he said that the, the night that that happened was when he first contemplated the, the notion of retirement. I was there. Yeah. Um, really. I was in the change room afterwards when we got news back in that, that Goodnick was in trouble and hurt. I just remember just... It wasn't a nice feeling. We didn't know how serious it was at that time, but I remember just being frightened, and then reality kind of hits. Um, even even like myself, not to that extent, but my last fight, which I lost, it's a pretty brutal fight. My wife has pretty much says to me she's not going to watch me box anymore and understand where she's coming from because this can be a, a brutal sport, as, as you well know. Mm. Well, do you want to hear my version of... Yes. You know, so... Karen, the mother of my children, or four of my children, she was never allowed to come to the fights. So, you know, uh, 
chivalry doesn't allow it didn't allow me to bring her to the fights mm. you can't you can't understand what i'm feeling i am not as hurt as you think i am if i get hit with a shot i know how to handle it it's what i do there is nothing endearing for me to bring you into that type of environment seeing the man you are in love with in such a violent and base yeah environment people shouting against me names bad language which is not the frequency of champions not the champions that i know if you want to resonate with the people if you want to win their hearts leave the bad language one two okay i've moved on to something else here two understand to win people you have to be kind mm. you have to be considerate so bringing karen to the fights or allowing her to come to the fights didn't make sense to me what if the unthinkable happens and i get knocked out should i have my wife in that environment no i shouldn't and so therefore that championship behavior carried through and allowed me to win championship fights if you behave like a champion then it's almost elementary that in your vocation you you're going to become important in that in that particular field so i'm sorry that your wife had to learn the hard way yeah it is it is an ugly environment yeah it's okay when you're winning i think it's good when you're winning but, but then but, when but, the but, brutal fights come it's just hard for her to watch yeah can you imagine that you know in that second watson fight there was no way it's yeah. like i've got this you know now i it's a 12 stone fight i got weight on i'm going to but even then no you can't come to the fight mm. it's not for you and these principles they work and it's principle that gives you distinction and when you have distinction yes you are the odd one out but then you are you are the best thing you could want you you become an example a standard bearer so you know you having made champion isn't you're important to the environment to, to the community you know people in corporate structures should want to hear from you how you did what you did mm. they want to understand the ingredients that it took to actually rise and make yourself exceptional in a society which is actually moving in uh another direction you become special but you have to see that and it's not about being a narcissist i am i am me me it's not about that mm. it's about giving back to the community it's about protecting and serving with your experience you know so you are a powerful guy but do you know it you got to remember well, that it's something that i agree well i agree with what what you're saying i think if you have a platform to give out positivity i think you should do it and i i i do in belfast especially mm. being from where i'm from mm. but so I, yeah i would i would agree strongly with what you're saying there you know here's a money making uh, vocation for you you go to pubs mm. or clubs and you speak to the management and you ask them to let you speak to the security on how to defuse situations because you because you're cool you've been under pressure so you know that in a potential fight or fracas where uh, you know guys are drunk 
How do you de-escalate? You know how to do that because you've been under the pressure of fights. You know how to deal with people. You know how to calm people down. They need that information. They're the money-making... There's a job for me. It's a job for you. There you go. And and, and I'm doing it. Yeah. They listen to me on on account of what? I was a champion, Mm. just like you. On account of what? Okay, so I have the little extra. Little extra. I like that. You like what? The look of it? great, yeah. Uh, The way it looks isn't the point. The point is is telling those youngsters, you know, I am, uh, you know, I can do it. I did it. Mm. I did my winning, I did my losing, and I took my beatings. Okay. So if I'm now wearing this, what am I saying? I'm only saying, look, you too should protect and serve the community at large. If my daughter gets hurt in the community, it's only a matter of chance that it wasn't your daughter. Mm. Yeah. So we all have to protect and serve whether we wear a badge or not. Chris, um, thank you very much for your, your time. Is that all you got? So we've got, so we've got time for. Um, we have got time for <laughs> regular segment of our show. And this is just a bit of fun to, to finish. It's a 32-second challenge. I'm going to read you out a few words, and it's just word association. So just, I'm going to read you out a word, and I want you to tell me what's the first thing that comes into your head. It's quick fire. We're going to get through as many as we can in 32 seconds uh, with 32 red uh, with Chris Eubanks Sr. Are you ready, sir? He's always ready. Nigel Benn. Warrior. Brighton. C. Chris Jr. Son. James DeGale. Son. Victory. And defeat are imposters. Integrity and humility is always the frequency. Clothes. Dandyism. And before you go on, a dandy. If a clove is a wearing man, a man whose office, trade and existence consists in the wearing of clothes, every faculty of his soul, spirit and person is heroically consecrated in this one object, the wearing of clothes, wisely and well, so that as others may dress to live, the dandy lives to dress. I don't have got time for any more. That was unreal. Best well, answer of the... Yeah, the very, yeah, I like that. Um... Why did you say son when I said the girl? Do you remember what my mother said to me? I do. Ah, he's got a mother too. I've, I've never had anything against James DeGale. It's like, stop hurting yourself. Stop talking in a foul way because if you don't, you're doing a disservice to your parents. I am a parent. I don't want to hear that type of language. I just don't. They didn't put up with it in my day. So... If I'm the person to be telling youngsters, look, leave that language alone, leave that base behaviour alone, you know, that's how you're going to win my respect. You're not going to win it otherwise. It's not cool to be using all this language. It's not cool. And certainly, think about your behaviour. So when that's on camera, the person who's going to actually employ you or give you an advertising campaign or give you an advert... He's going to look at your behavior online. And if you're using bad language, will they use you? It's likely that they won't. Mm. It's unlikely that they're going to use you if you are behaving foul. That's not what they want to represent their brand. So it's bad business. So to fighters, I say, vocabulary, 
I had a, I had a dictionary. I looked up words. Speak so that the masses or the biggest mass can understand what he's saying. It's not about actually appealing to your ghetto or to your pals. You know, you appeal to the community at large. Mm. Okay, and the way you do it is always is always by being gentle. And what what's more what is more cool than being able to beat men and then outside of the ring <laughs> I, I'm just you know, I'm gentle. Mm. Because I know how to fight. When you can fight you are gentle. You never use it against anyone. You always use it to protect people. And so that's what we do. Fair point. Commercially, who's the biggest star in world boxing? Anthony Joshua. And he's a nice guy. Mm. He's got it right. He's got it right. Chris, pleasure to have you on. And thank you very much for your time. Okay. All right. Good to see Thanks, you. Chris. All right. Thank You've you. been watching TKO Round 2 Done and Dusted. Remember, we're a podcast and a YouTube show. You can download us via the normal channels. Joe, uh, in together with 32 Red. Um, thanks to Carl. Thanks to Chris. Uh, we'll be back next week previewing, of course, James DeGale and Chris Eubank Jr. on the 23rd. We'll see you in seven days' time. You've been listening to TKO on Joe, together with 32 Red.